So when was the last time that you honestly felt inspired? I mean, I'm talking where you're in a situation where you experienced something where you were just truly stunned or just left in awe. I mean, I'm talking like going to the Grand Canyon or seeing a just amazing sunset at the beach or even smaller things like maybe you went to a musical like in Broadway and it was just amazing and you were just like enchanted or, or maybe even more simple, yeah, you went to a restaurant and it was just amazing, the food and the environment. Now, that wasn't in Temple or Belton. I'm sorry. But maybe when you traveled or weren't in Belt County and you, you had this absolutely exquisite dining experience and you just said, oh, man, I want more of this. Now, I also want you to think, to when you just had an average meal or went to an average show or had a just very average day. Were you in awe? Were, were you just so inspired from your just ho-hum regular drove to work? I had a just regular average day. If you're honest, the answer is no. But if we're equally honest, we know that we hunger for this excitement. We hunger to be enthralled. We want awe in our lives. Every one of us wants to be in awe because God has hardwired it into you. This is why you buy expensive phones every year. When the one that you have may have a few cracks on it because you dropped it one too many times, and yet it still functions And yet, no, you have to have the brand new one. Why? Or why do you you have this desire to go to Disney World? Like, seriously. To spend thousands of dollars, to be sweating and being in line longer than you're on the rides. Like, it doesn't even make any logical sense, except that it's magical. And so you want to go experience this thing this transcendence that you have a hard time pinning down, we use the word awe. Every one of us wants is that. That's why you go to sporting events and drop way too much money, especially if it's professional or division one. I mean, I love the crew. Hey, I'm, I'm a crusader, you know, champions. And yet, yeah, and yet the environment is not the same as going to go watch UT in, in Austin. It's just a whole different environment. Hey, I graduated in 01. I'm a crusader. I'm just saying the, the electricity is just not, unless you get to like the late round playoff games, then it's actually legit. But otherwise, 7 zero, come on, like the games are kind of boring. Um, but every one of us wants to go and be excited and, and cheer and have this sense of awe. We all want it. We hunger for it. That's why you watch exciting movies and, and And why oftentimes we even give ourselves to destructive habits. And we know that they're poison. We know that they're destroying us. We know. And yet, we continue to do it. Time and time again. And the reason is that there is something that has been wired in us. We all crave to be captivated by something. All all of us have been made by God 
to marvel at something, to look at it, to desire it, and to just love it with all of your heart, with your affections, something beyond yourself, every one of us. And there is actually a word for this. The word is worship. Every one of us has been made to worship. See, we've been made to be in awe of God, to be enthralled by him, captivated by him, satisfied by him. And everywhere else that we look, it's just a counterfeit that doesn't deliver. Which is why in this series, this first one of being a brand new church in Bill County, we're, we're considering this, this theme of unstoppable. We have a God who was unstoppable. And what we want to see with Renewal Church, quite honestly, is not what we can accomplish in our own power. We want to see the miraculous. We want to see the supernatural. Not what humans can think of with their own brain or with their own hands to set up or with our ingenuity to market. No, what we want to see is something that human hands cannot accomplish. We want to see the impossible done. We want to see the dead brought to life. And God is unstoppable. And so we lay our hope and our rest in him. He has a plan. We began looking at this last week. He has a plan that is unstoppable. And the more that we know who God is and know our place in his plan, so we know who we are in being created and made for and loved by God, the more you know who God is and who you are made by God, then what happens is that you then find freedom. And you will be in awe of your creator. You'll be captivated. You'll be so into Jesus. It'll just completely change your world. We began this last week talking about an unstoppable vision, how God has an ultimate goal, a big picture for all that he's doing. And so God has a master plan. And the plan is to create a people for himself that display his glory while they enjoy his presence. So that's you and me. This is our purpose. This is why we live you're not made for yourself, you were made for God, and you are made for the people of God, and which is why we're planting this new church. Why are we doing this? Because people that are far from God, that for whatever reason, would be, just would not be able to enter into a traditional church building. But we pray, God, that they'll enter into this school, and that they'll feel God's love, and feel something different, something real. And so we were made by God and for God to belong to his people and then to display his glory as we enjoy him. So this is, that's from last week, that's kind of the big picture. That is the vision, that is God's plan, which is why the Renewal Church vision is to bring God's renewal to Bell County and the world. This is what we're about. This is why we are doing this, to bring God's renewal, beginning here in Bell County and to the world. And maybe you think, well, that's kind of like a megalomaniac there, Pastor Matthew. That's kind of a really big vision. That's pretty audacious. It sounds, I don't know, kind of impossible. For this church meeting in a middle school in central Texas to actually have a dream to bring God's renewal to Bell County and the world. And you're thinking, that's impossible. Yes, it is. 
Yes, it is for you and me. Yes, it is in our power. But no, it is not for a God who is limitless. Not for a God that has big plans. And I believe big plans that will not be able to be contained by a cafetorium in North Billington Middle School. He does have plans for this faith family because he has called us for his purpose and he has made a way and we have the privilege of just holding on for the ride that God has for us and seeing our lives renewed. And so when we're talking about God's vision and we're talking about mission. And so this morning as we continue in this series, I want to talk about the how because the what What are we about? Where are we going? So what is the direction of this brand new church? Well, to spread God's renewal to Bill County and the world, thinking, okay, that's big. God has to do it. Absolutely. How? How are you going to do it? What is your plan to get there? We have a mission. The mission describes the how. Describes the purpose. And so I want you to think of it this way. Vision refers to someday. So vision is the someday. It's the future. It's where we're going. The mission is the everyday. The mission is the today and the tomorrow that will get us to that someday. So what we do today, how we live our lives today on mission will put us on the path towards fulfilling the overall vision. And so vision is someday down the road. That's where we're headed Mission is the today and how we live it out. So there's a lot of ways to describe this. Let me give you an illustration from a brilliant company. How many of you like going to Ikea? I see a lot more ladies raising their hands than guys. Um, They are a brilliant company. You can love them or, or hate them. They are brilliant. And so Ikea has a vision. So their vision statement is to create a better everyday life for the many people. So that's Ikea's goal. That's where they're headed. That's their someday. Someday in the future. That's where Ikea hopes to do is create a better life for many people. Well, what is their mission? Well, how are they going to get there? They say, well, the mission is to offer a wide range of well-designed, functional home furnishing products at prices so low that as many people as possible will be able to afford them. So they're saying, that's how we're going to do it. So the vision is where they're headed, and their mission is how. And quite honestly, it is, it is brilliant. Like, their marketing is remarkable. Um, I don't personally like it. Like, I don't like feeling like a, a mouse that's trapped in the labyrinth. Um, I, I have a hard time whenever I go and I feel, I feel like I'm in a maze. And like, I just want to get one thing. We just came in for a coffee stir. And then it becomes a 40-minute experience, but then you walk out and you, then you get hot dogs. And then before you know it, it's like, oh, man, they're good at what they do. And here's why. Because they know where they're going, and they know how to get there. Why they're so successful. Love them or hate them, they're successful. Now, rather than talking about furniture with funky names, um, 
let's talk about something eternal. The mission of God. See, that is what defines who we are. God's vision is his plan to create a people that will love him, enjoy him forever. And his mission is God taking action to bring that to fruition. God stepping into our world, Jesus coming into this world to accomplish the vision. So God is on mission. So the mission of God is God taking the initiative to rescue his broken and lost, rebellious children and bring them back close to his heart. See, this is the mission of God. He takes action to bring us near. God is the first missionary. So now we are called to be missional. This is the plan for this morning. Let me just give you a brief synopsis so that you know where we're headed. First, what I want to do here is I want, I want to take you through the Old Testament very briefly. But I want to show you how the Old Testament is not a bunch of just random, disconnected stories. It's not. It's one story with one main character for one purpose. And it is the story of God who is redeeming his people for the praise of his name. And everything from Genesis to Revelation is one continuous story, and it is a beautiful tapestry that is woven together. And the more we understand this, the more that your heart will explode with awe for Jesus, and, and the more that you will hunger for God's word. So I want to show you from the Old Testament how God has been on mission in the very beginning. And then we'll get to the New Testament very briefly and look at one text and see how Jesus has fulfilled it and how it applies to you and me. And don't worry, you won't miss lunch, I promise. Genesis 1 and 2, creation. What you see is God makes Adam and Eve and puts them in Eden. He gives them many blessings. But let me summarize them. I can give you three words that summarize all the blessings that God gave to Adam and Eve. The first word is land. He gave them land. He gave them Eden. And on this land, there was food. It was God's providence. And so God blessed them with a place. So one, he gave them land. Second, God gave them his presence. So God was right there with them, talking to him and enjoying him. So above all other delights available in the world, Adam and Eve were walking with God. They talked to God. And he talked to them. They loved each other. And they had a life-giving friendship. What you had with humanity and God was real relationship with nothing broken. It's just stunning and beautiful. It was God's original design for us and him. So you have land, and then you have presence, so God's presence. And third, you have purpose. You have land, presence, and purpose. Their purpose was, and continues to be, intimacy with God. See, that is the purpose of our lives, to know God. I'm not talking about knowing God how you know facts out of a history book. 
I'm talking about actually knowing God personally, hearing his voice and walking with him and enjoying him, worshiping him. This is peace. This is joy. This is purpose. This is why we exist. And you saw that in the Garden of Eden. They worshiped God. And in this worshiping, this enjoying of this relationship, that was glorifying to him. And God calls Adam and Eve, it says, to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And so this was, we talked about this last week, but to spread God's glory by spreading worshipers across every nation on the globe because God wanted people from every single nation on the whole planet to enjoy this purpose of walking with him and knowing him. So our purpose has always been about relationship with God. And then spreading that joy to all the nations of the world. Land, presence, and purpose. Here's what you see in the Garden of Eden. Now Genesis 3 describes how it all went haywire. It all went down the tubes. Adam and Eve rejected God, rejected his love, rejected their land, rejected their purpose, rejected God's presence, rejected all of his blessings and said, God, I don't want you. I don't need you or your presence or your land or your purpose. I got this myself. I got this. This is my life. I will dictate what it looks like, and I don't need you meddling in what my life looks like. I got this. I'll figure it out myself. Sound familiar? human nature. It's who we are. Our father and our mother had it, and we have inherited this rebellious, foolish, spiritual suicide nature. And that's what they did. They rebelled. And so what happened? They lost their land. They were exiled from the garden. They lost God's presence. They were exiled from living in the presence of God. And to a degree, they even lost their purpose, because now they preferred sin over God. They lost their taste for God. Their hearts did not want to walk with God. Now, they still had purpose as image bearers, which still is to enjoy God's presence and glorify him, worship him. The presence or the purpose wasn't lost, but it's corrupted. And so now we don't want God anymore. Purpose still exists but it's been lost. So what we need is renewal. We need to be restored and brought back into our land, into our purpose, into God's presence. That's the whole point of renewal. That's the point of restoration, being brought back to its original state. And you even see it in small things. Like remember, God saw Adam and Eve be fruitful and multiply, right? And then when Eve sinned, she would now have pain in what? Childbirth, corruption, God's purpose, corrupted. Now there's death in childbirth, and even when you don't die, you think you're going to. The blessing still exists, but is corrupted because of our sin. 
And yet what you also see in Genesis 3 is God's promise to send a Savior to restore because we are desperate for restoration. To be restored to land, presence, and purpose. And so this is God's plan of renewal, which is the whole Old Testament. Let's go by very quickly. So you keep fast-forwiding in Genesis chapter 9. You have Noah after the flood. Now people that refuse God all died, and you have a now clean earth with Noah and his family. And in Genesis 9, he experiences God's presence through this sacrifice. And then God makes some promises to Noah. He, he tells him to be fruitful and to multiply. This is in Genesis 9.1. Reclaiming Genesis 1 and 2. Going back to the original purpose. Now you have Noah, who is a new head of humanity, saying, now you go and multiply and spread my glory with worshipers across the planet. And he had a new land now, which was the whole planet, really, at that point. The story continues because humanity continued to rebel because that's what we do. We're corrupted. And so the world got really bad again, and which is expected. And then Genesis 12, we need a man named Abraham. And also in chapter 17 as well. And you have promises that God made to Abraham. And guess what God promised Abraham? He promised to bless him with the what? With land. And he promised to bless him with descendants that would be more than the stars of the sky. This sounds a lot like Genesis 1 to me. On be fruitful and multiply. And so now Abraham is being promised that he's going to multiply. And there's going to be worshipers that are going to cover the whole planet as he's experiencing God's presence. So the promises to Noah and to Abraham are nothing more than the original ones made to Adam and Eve. But now God is restoring. God has a word bringing it all back. What happens after that? Well, they're enslaved in Egypt. Now they're out of their land. They're in a foreign land. And what does God do through Moses? He brings them out of slavery into his presence because he gives them a tabernacle, which is a transportable little Eden on wheels. It wasn't actually on wheels. It was on sticks. But our church is on wheels, and so it's funny. But no, it, it was mobile. It was this transportable called a tabernacle. It was a tent, and it was designed to be an Eden sanctuary where God's presence was right there with his people And again, it's about giving them their land and about restoring God's presence and their purpose. You see that yet again with Moses. And then Joshua takes over and they get their land back and they're back in the promised land. But the problem is that they didn't trust God and so they were overrun by their enemies. And so God then provides a new leader who solidifies the borders. And this leader is called King David. And he secures the land. And he, his son builds the temple so that God's presence is there again. And God's purpose is being fulfilled through Abraham, through Moses, through then David, through then Solomon. The problem is their hearts were still so far from God and so corrupted. So what did they do? They kept rebelling. And so they were exiled out of their land into Babylon. Lost God's presence. Temple destroyed. God's presence, Ezekiel, leaving the temple. And they're exiled. It's like Eden all over again. Exiled. Loss of, the, loss of God's presence. 
loss of purpose and identity. But what does God do? He brings them back into their land and rebuilds the temple. So you're seeing over and over and over a God who is on mission, who won't be stopped. And despite his rebellious children, he can't give up on them. He doesn't give up on his children. They run and they go to idols and they cheat on him. Read Hosea. The imagery is of a wife committing adultery. It's like, that's you and me. We run from him. We spite him. And all he does is continue to show mercy and continue to restore us to his place, to land, and restore his presence and his purpose in us. This is the story of the Old Testament. But it ends with this sense of it's not complete. This, the Old Testament ends with, okay, yes, they're back, they're back in the land. The temple was rebuilt, but their hearts are still so far from God. So the Old Testament shows God on mission. And yet the Old Testament also shows that God's people still did not want to live in his presence. Still rebellious. So God makes some promises through the prophets that one day, one day he would send his Messiah who would be a son of the woman, descendant of Abraham, a son of David, who would come. And that he would do what we could not do for ourselves. And there's a promise of land. Back to God's original purpose. So if you read Isaiah 2, we don't have time this morning, but on your own, Isaiah 2 and Isaiah 11 both describe this future promise under the Messiah's reign where it will be in a Eden-like new heaven and new earth. God's promise to restore us to a land for eternity. And then presence. If you read Ezekiel 36, the prophet describes how God will one day send his spirit who will live inside of his people. This was 600 years before Jesus was born. And there's a promise in Ezekiel 36 that one day God will live in his people and live with his people. This is a promise about his presence and then about his purpose. Deuteronomy 30 describes how one day he will circumcise our hearts, give us new hearts, hearts that want to obey. You know what freedom is? Freedom is when what you want to do is actually what is holy and God's will. Because when what you want to do is sinful and rebellious, man, you're enslaved. But when your heart is changed and you hunger For Jesus and what you want to do, what you desire is actually good and glorifying to God, that is freedom. And there's a promise that one day God would do that. And you also see that with Ezekiel 37, where there's this valley of dry, dead bones, and the prophet begins to preach, and the spirit begins to stir, and there's a rattling, and these dead people become a resurrected, living people of God who've come together for the praise of his name. And these were the promises in the Old Testament. And all of it shows that God has a mission that is unstoppable. And it's what our lives are defined by. That God will stop at nothing 
to have his children close to him. Creating a people for his glory who enjoy him. God is missionary. He's the one who's reaching out. And now he sends us. And so we are a sent people. So with all of that biblical context, because I want you to have that. This is foundational. Let me give you the Renewal Church mission. This is our mission statement. So Renewal Church exists so that people will be made new in Jesus and grow in Jesus and be released into the world for Jesus. This is how we accomplish the vision. We're going to spread God's renewal. How? By seeing people made new in Jesus and then grow in Jesus and then released into the world for Jesus. This is how we do it, and it's all focused upon Jesus and his gospel. Let me read to you a text in the New Testament. I mentioned that we're going to go through the Old Testament and then read a New Testament text, make a few observations, and then apply it so you can understand where we're headed as a church. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll be reading verses 14 through 21. It's on the screens as well. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is all from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making the appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amazing. This is the gospel is right here. If you're wondering, oh, he's going to preach a whole second sermon now on that. No, no, I'm not. Relax. A few observations, and I want to show you our mission from this powerful text, which, by the way, we're going to be studying later this week, which we do every week. We take the text that was preached, and then we go into our home groups. We share our lives. We eat together, pray together, laugh together, sing together, and then go deeper and study the text that was preached and really apply it and speak into each other's lives. And it's like a, a midweek recharge is what it is. It's just fuel for your soul while we have home groups. So what we're going to look at here is verse 17. It's a powerful verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is actually our memory verse right now. If you're parents, I encourage you, before you leave today in the children's area, so in Renewal Kids, make sure you pick up one of these. This is our children's memory 
packets. It's a useful tool that has several key verses that follow the preaching from now until the end of the year. So we're planning ahead. We know where we're going. And remember, what's preached here is also going to be discussed in our home groups. And right now, as I'm proclaiming God's word to you, my wife, Bonnie, who is the children's ministry director, is teaching the children from the exact same text. The exact same truth that you're hearing, your kids right now are also hearing. And then you'll discuss it with your youth, even in your home group. So we have alignment. We're going in the exact same direction as a church. And so the idea is that as parents, that you would engage with your kids, with your teenagers, that you would talk to them about spiritual things, that you would pull this out, and that you would review today's key verse, which is out of 2 Corinthians 5.17, and that you would work with your kids, practice it at, at breakfast or dinner or bedtime, and review it and, and practice sharing the word together as a family. So we're trying to equip families to be on mission in their own homes, investing in their children. And so make sure that you take advantage and let us partner with you as you shepherd your children. This verse here shows us the whole point of following Jesus. We can't fix ourselves. We can't heal ourselves. We can't free ourselves from our bondage to our sin and our addictions, our hang-ups, our struggles. We can't change ourselves. I mean, I think it's always so funny whenever I meet with couples and, and the husband or wife is trying to change each other. And I'm like, man, I can't even change me. Now I'm going to try to change someone else. See how that goes for you. It won't go well. We can't. Only God can change us. That's the work of the Spirit. He makes us new. This is the miraculous, this is the supernatural power of God. And so you have the reality that all of us are in kind of a mysterious way. We're all in Adam. And it says that you are in Christ. But when you are born, you're automatically in Adam. What that means is that you are represented spiritually by your father, Adam, and inherit his genes, his spiritual genes, his nature, which is what? Selfish and rebellious and an idolater. Well, that was Adam. That's you and me because we're in Adam. We share in his sinful nature, the corruption. And yet we see in this verse that we can be made new and be in Christ. Now we share Jesus' nature. We're like him. So now we hate our sin. And now we love people. And we want to serve. We're different. This changes everything. You are either in Adam or you're in Christ. One or the other. You can't be in both. Either you only have sinful flesh or you have been redeemed and born again and made new by his spirit. And then you hear his voice and you want to obey and you hunger for his word and you love people. And it even says that we don't treat people according to the flesh. So what that there's a lot in there, but one, one application of that is that we don't treat people the way that the world does. And so things like racism have no place in the kingdom of God. None. I pray that we will be a multi 
cultural, diverse church. This is what we're hungry for, and not to people according to the flesh, uh, according to what's normal in our corrupted world, but no, we regard each other through the Spirit, and so we accept and love each other. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. Um, do you think that everything that you see around you here got set up by fairies? Do you think that we hired a crew to come in at 7.30 every single Sunday to unload two 24-foot trailers and push 20-plus six-foot cases that are heavy. Yes, women and youth, not children so much, but also helping and unloading and setting every single wire, projector, screen, sign, pipe and drape, every single thing. We, we get here at 7.30. And you know what you'll find if you would come, and I hope that you will, you know what you're going to find at 7.30? Besides, they say, where's the coffee? And where's the breakfast? And yes, we have breakfast too. We, have, we eat together and we have coffee. But you know also what you find? Joy. You find joy. You find, I'm not lying to you. Come see it for yourself. You know what you find? Smiling people. That are just so excited. Because we have a mission. We have a purpose. We're living in the presence of God. And so it is real joy. And we come and we hang with our friends and we just have a great time. And it gets set up in the process. It really is part of how we do life. And so if you feel called to be part of this church, I need you to know something. You're on the setup team. We're all, now if you're a guest, that that wasn't for you. But if you've been visiting a few times and feel like, okay, I think, I think God's called me to be, be part of this church plan, you are automatically dubbed setup team member. And we need that because when we can share the load, no one gets burned out. Whereas if you have the same people week in, week out, it's only a matter of time. I mean, yes, there's joy, but there's natural human fatigue in this equation too. So we want a rotation. So no one person does it every week, and no one gets burned out. And we can all stay fresh and reach more people and experience this joy that we have been made new and fulfill a purpose together that we are actually different from the world because we've been made new in Jesus. We've been brought back from the dead, and we live not for ourselves, but for him who died for us, and was raised up. And so what you're seeing here is in in this text, everything promised in the Old Testament about land and presence and purpose is filled in Jesus. And so he's promising us a future land in heaven. We have his presence right now through his spirit, and we have our purpose restored. So everything that you see in Genesis and all the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. And so our purpose is to be made new in Jesus and then grow in Jesus. We just read verses 14 and 15. He says that we are controlled, or the word is compelled, by love. Did you catch that? In verse 14, he says the love of God, the love of Christ, 
controls us. This is profound. It is God's love that pushes us to live for him. You know that person inside of you that sometimes is gripped by anxiety? Don't raise your hand, but I, I know it exists. You know that person inside of you that is lustful? That person inside of you that's turned to the bottle for hope? That person inside of you that gets very angry? That person inside of you that you, you wish um, just didn't exist? Well, according to verse 15, it says that that person has died. That person has been crucified with Jesus. Dead. Gone. You've been made new. You have a new nature. You are not that person anymore. That lifestyle, that does not define you. What defines who you are in Christ. Now, I know, I know we have an enemy and Satan will tempt you and cause you to doubt and, and tell you lies like God can't love you or he'll say God is just too disappointed in you. Or maybe you think to yourself, man, God just can't possibly forgive what I've done. It's just too great of a debt. Or maybe you think, okay, if we're going to use numbers, my sin debt is like minus a thousand. And so we just read that Christ died for us. And so maybe you feel like, well, then Christ gave me a thousand. He paid off my debt. So now I'm square. Now I'm at a zero balance. I'm not in debt anymore. So God doesn't hate me anymore because I'm no longer in debt. Christ's work has brought me square. Now I'm zero. But that zero also means zero love from God. Maybe you think, I, I, I just don't know. I'm just so, maybe you think, disappointed in myself. So you think, well, God must be disappointed in me as well. We have to believe the truth of the gospel. Christ's work on the cross did not pay off your debt and bring you at a zero balance where now you have to earn God's love. No, sir, no, ma'am, no, brother and sister. Listen to me from the authority of God's word. I can tell you this, that his work on the cross, his death for you pays your debt, and then you get into infinity, into the positive. It's infinite. It doesn't end. He's eternal. His love for you is everlasting. And so it's not as if you have to earn anything. It, it is infinite. And it's ongoing. It can't run out because God is love. He is the source. He is the fountain of it. And so it just continues to pour out and pour on us. And this is what allows us to grow and change and live for him who died for us. His love compels us. Now, I know that duty and guilt and fear are all very common motivations 
for growth or even for mission in general. But the Bible says that those are not adequate. Those are not God's plan. It's love. His love compels us. The old person died on the cross with Jesus. You have been made new. You can walk in victory. You have to surrender to Jesus. So do you want to grow and really be like Jesus? Taste the love of Jesus. Taste his mercy. And then his spirit will begin to change and break those strongholds. And he will begin to change you and you will grow. So our purpose, our mission is to be made new in Jesus then to grow in Jesus. And lastly, as we wrap up, released into the world for Jesus. Verses 18 through 20 say that we've been reconciled to God through Jesus, that our sins are no longer counted against us, that we represent Jesus as his ambassadors and he uses us to reach those that are far from God and that he's given us this message and ministry of reconciliation. This defines who we are. We receive mercy for this mission. Like this is profound truth about who we are are and who God is and how we're called to now spread God's renewal. And so we are called to be missional because God is missional. 